Let's pray. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, guide us, Lord, as we open your word. Give us understanding. Give us wisdom. Lord, I pray that you would speak through me. I pray that you would take complex things and make them simple to understand. Hide me behind your cross, Lord. And Father, may the message come out as you intended to. This I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So my message tonight is entitled, Overwhelming Fear. Overwhelming Fear. I have a question for you. How many of you have ever experienced overwhelming fear? All right. Some of you. Some of you have never experienced overwhelming fear. Is that safe to say? Yes? Well, it is my prayer that by the end of this message, it will be your desire to experience overwhelming fear. Don't get up, don't walk out, please. <laughs> please. <laughs> I want to set the foundation for tonight's message. Turn with me, if you will, to Revelation chapter 14 and verse 6, a text that we are perhaps all familiar with. Revelation chapter 14 and verse 6. The Bible says, and I saw another angel fly in the midst of heaven, having the everlasting gospel to preach unto them that dwell on the earth and to every nation and kindred and tongue and people, saying with a loud voice, fear God and give glory to him for the hour of his judgment has come and worship him that made heaven and the earth and the sea and the fountains of waters. This is an end time message that is to go into all the world. Amen. And God's people are to give this message with power and authority. In fact, in the book of Revelation chapter 18, we find there an angel descending and his glory lightens the whole world and he cries out with great power. He repeats this message to, for God's people to come out of Babylon, meaning that at the end of time, God's people will and must go forth giving a message but they must give it with great power and authority. Amen? So how many of you want to be a part of that message? So tonight I want to set the foundation first by talking to you on a very personal level. And then I'm going to speak to you on a church level. And then we're going to understand something very, very, very important for us to understand. Why Satan does not want unity in God's Seventh-day Adventist Remnant Church. So, part one. There are three major time prophecies in the book of Daniel. Those time prophecies are, who can help me out? The 70 weeks, followed by the 1260-year prophecy, and then the 2300-day prophecy, okay? How many of you have ever struggled to understand those prophecies? And what they mean. All right, so what we're about to do right now is hopefully simplify those three prophecies so that you will never forget it. You will what? Never forget it. Now, listen. Go with me to Daniel chapter 9, 
and let's just take a brief look at the 70-week prophecy. Daniel chapter 9. And I want you to notice with, with me, verse 21. The Bible says, Yea, while I was speaking in prayer, even the man Gabriel, whom I had seen in the vision at the beginning, being caused to fly swiftly, touched me about the time of the evening oblation. And he informed me and talked with me and said, O Daniel, I am now come forth to give thee skill and understanding. Notice with me verse 24. The Bible there says, Seventy weeks are determined upon thy people and upon thy holy city to do what? Finish the transgression, to make an end of what? Sins, to make what? Reconciliation for iniquity and to seal up the vision and prophecy and to anoint the most holy. Know therefore and understand that from the going forth of the commandment to restore and to build Jerusalem unto the Messiah the Prince shall be seven weeks and threescore and two weeks. The street shall be built again and the wall even in troublous times. And after threescore and two weeks shall Messiah be cut off but not for himself. Let me just stop right here. Let me juice down what we just read for you, what we just read. The 70-week prophecy was basically a prophecy pointing to the coming of Jesus. All right? Pretty simple? Yeah. So uh, the 70-week prophecy, which began in 457 B.C., you count 70 weeks or 490 years, and it brings you to the ministry of Jesus Christ. Roughly, in a nutshell. Okay, now the 70-week prophecy, in essence, pointed to Christ coming to his temple. I want you to pause right here, or just come over with me to the book of Malachi, chapter 3. Malachi, chapter 3. Malachi, the third chapter, and notice with me verse 1. Malachi... Chapter 3 and verse 1. When you're there, say amen. amen. The Bible says, Behold, I will send my messenger, and he shall prepare the way before me. And the who? Lord, whom you seek, shall suddenly come to his what? To his temple, even the messenger of the covenant, whom you delight in. Behold, he shall come, saith the Lord of hosts. Then the 70 week prophecy was basically pointing forward to the time that Christ would come in his ministry and, in essence, to his temple. We find Jesus in his ministry, walking in the temple, cleansing the temple, ministering in the temple. Okay, if you're with me so far, just let me hear a nice amen. All right, so we're not going to look at the 1260 right now, nor the 2300. I just want to show you something that is actually quite amazing that deals. Do you know that the 70-week prophecy is a very personal prophecy? You may not have known that, but I want you to check this out. Because did you know that in the Bible uh, that you and I are called temples? Did you know that? So, so the Bible says, know you not that you are the temple of the Holy Ghost. Check this out. If you've ever struggled with understanding the seven-week prophecy or understanding what it has to do with me personally, listen to this. Every time a person accepts 
Jesus Christ. Every time Jesus Christ enters into a temple, the 70-week prophecy has been fulfilled on a very personal level with you. Every one of us that accepted Christ into the temple, when you allowed Christ to come into your life and to set up his home in your temple, in in a sense, the seven-week prophecy on a very personal level. Are you with me? On a very personal level, the seven-week prophecy has been fulfilled in your life. How many of you have experienced the 70-week prophecy? Yeah, why? Because Christ came to your temple. And guess what? Every one of you who, just like the Jews who had an option, are we going to accept him or reject him? Every one of us has that same question brought to us. Will we accept the 70-week prophecy in our lives on a personal level or will we reject it? Because you know the result of rejecting the 70-week prophecy was that the Jews were cut off. Are you with me so far? So, wow, praise God. I can now personalize a seven-week prophecy. Remember, the seven-week prophecy is a literal prophecy that was fulfilled in the time of Christ. But on a very personal level, every time a person accepts Christ into their life, they have fulfilled the 70-week prophecy. How many 70-weekers do we have in here? Look at that. You get it now. (laughs) You're a 70-weeker. You get it, right? So now we're good to go. Everything is going to be fine from here on out. Praise God that the road is going to be just nice and dandy, except there's another time prophecy in the book of Daniel. Is there not? What time prophecy is it? It's the 1200. It's the 1260 year prophecy. And remember, what was that prophecy about? It was about Satan persecuting the people of God. So now you know why persecution comes in your life after the 70 weeks. You get it? You get so listen now I'm understanding ah so what I'm living through right now I accepted the 70 weeks and oh it makes sense the 1260 comes after the 70 weeks so that's why after you accept Christ all of a sudden it seems like the dragon is breathing down your neck that's why it seems like, man, after I accepted Christ, before Christ, oh, life was like, yeah, whatever. But after Christ, it just seems like this trial and this tribulation. But now I understand, oh, I'm just going through the 1260. I get it now. I understand. You see, beloved, listen, it's very interesting. In the book of Revelation, you know, in Revelation 12, the Bible talks about how uh, this, the man-child was caught up uh, to heaven. You know that story? Talking about Jesus? That, that's a 70-week prophecy, isn't it? Christ coming to this earth, living his life, dies, is buried, resurrected, and ascends to heaven. Revelation 12, 1 through 5 is all talking about the 70-week prophecy. A woman clothed with the sun, getting ready to give birth to the Messiah. 
That's a 70-week prophecy. Yeah? But what happens right after that? The woman goes into the wilderness for how long? 1260 years. God is laying out for us your personal walk in prophecy. But the reason that you don't need to be afraid of the 1260 is because the Bible says that God sustained the woman in the wilderness. So she's just not just left in the wilderness to fend for herself. No, God took care of his people in the same way you and I can rest assured that as we are going through our 1260, God is going to take care of us. But, but in order for him to take care of us, we must feed on his word because that's what he does, right? He gives them bread in the wilderness. He feeds them. He sustains them. See, beloved, only those who fulfill the 70-week prophecies, who fulfill the 1260, are the ones that are able to preach the end-time message. Because wait, because wait, there's one more prophecy, isn't there? (laughs) Isn't there one more? What is that prophecy? Unto 2300 days, then shall the sanctuary... Y'all not feeling me, man. (laughs) You're not feeling me. Then shall the sanctuary, the temple, be cleansed. And when the temple is cleansed, that sets the way for the coming of Jesus Christ. So, beloved, on a very personal level then, the the 70 weeks, the 1260, the 2300 applies to me. You know, yeah, persecution and those that live godly suffer persecution. But there comes a point in time where God wants us to move beyond just being stuck in the wilderness and get to the business of cleansing the temple. Now I can see people. I know this this is going to sound bad. But I can see people in terms of numbers. (laughs) You calling me a number, Pastor? Yeah, I'm calling you a number. (laughs) You see, check this out. Now I can understand my mission in terms of numbers. Because for the atheist and the person who has never known or met Jesus, I now understand, okay, we got to get this guy to be a 70-weeker. Yeah, we don't just drop him into a 23. You can't just become a 2300-er. <laughs> right? You got to introduce him to Christ first. Amen? 70-weeker. So now I get it, okay? But guess what? There's a lot of people who have already accepted Christ. Is that right? Does God have people in other churches and other denominations that are his people? Yes, except, guess what? They are living under a counterfeit 1260. You see, in a counterfeit 1260, that's where Satan thinks to change Times and laws. That's the deceptive 1260. That's 1260 on Satan's side. So we realize, oh man, this is a 70 weaker, but right now they're trapped in the wilderness. So we've got to move them from 1260 to 2300. Every time we bring someone into this movement, they become 2300. See, so now, as I look at these prophecies, I can, ah, okay, I get it now. I remember now. Yeah, I know what the 70s is about because I've personalized it. 
I know what the 1260 is about. I've personalized the 2300. I've personalized it. Those are the ones that are going to be preaching this message at the end of time. You got to have Christ living in your hearts. You got to know what it means to be persecuted and overcome it. And you have to know what it means to live a life dedicated to Christ that he is able to cleanse your sanctuaries. Those are the ones that are going to preach that anti-message with power. Okay, so that's level one. Now we're going to go to level two. So. (laughs) Level two. Turn with me to the book of Matthew 18. We're talking about the church now. Matthew 18. Matthew chapter 18. And uh, we're going to begin with verse 3. In fact, let's begin with verse 1. And at the same time came the disciples unto Jesus, saying, Who is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? And Jesus called the little child unto him and set him in the midst of them. And said, Verily I say unto you, except you be converted and become as little children, you shall not enter the kingdom of heaven. Whosoever therefore shall humble himself as a little child, as this little child, the same is greatest in the kingdom of heaven. And whoso shall receive one such little child in my name, receiveth him. So what was happening with the disciples there? They were trying to figure out who is the who is the greatest. Who is the greatest? You know what? That's a very dangerous spirit who is the greatest who is the greatest who is the greatest who's your favorite pastor (laughs) who's the greatest (laughs) now i'm telling you man you fill in the blank it's greater than you fill in the blank right no, 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 this pastor is better than this. No, 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 this speaker is better than this speaker. And you know what begins to happen when we begin to engage in that spirit of who is the greatest? Yet there, there's something that begins to happen even in the hearts of teachers, speakers, pastors, right? There exists this danger of seeking to become the greatest, and that danger opens the way up for a lot of division within the church. Y'all not feeling me, man. (laughs) Look at me. Look into my eyes. (laughs) (laughs) Understand what I'm saying. So the spirit of who is the greatest, the disciples had it. So, so, we're going to come back to that. So let's read on. Verse 6, Jesus said, you must become as a little child. And then he says in verse verse 6, but whoso shall offend one of these little ones, which believeth in me, it were better for him that a millstone were hanged about his neck and that he were drowned in the depth of the sea. Now, when Christ talks about offending the little ones, who is he talking about? Is he talking about children? Yeah, he's not talking about children. He's talking about newborns. He's talking about Christians. That's what he says. That's why he says, except you become converted as this little one. And then whosoever shall offend one of these little ones. Right? So he's not talking about children. Yes, Jesus, yes, Jesus loves the little children. Don't, don't get mad at me. Pastor said he, Jesus does love the little children, okay? He does. He does. I know you sung the song from I know. He loves, but the text is talking about those who have given their lives to Christ. Better hang a millstone around their neck. By the way, that's why Babylon has a millstone put around her neck. 
because she was seeking to lead astray God's people. So, so, reading on, so uh, Jesus goes on to say, uh, jump, jump down with me to verse 10. So, I'll take heed that you despise not one of these little ones, for I say unto you that in heaven that their angels do always behold the face of my Father which is in heaven. For the Son of Man has come to save that which was lost. Now, it's very interesting because Jesus here is telling us he came to save that which was lost. These little ones were ones that were once lost but repented and were saved. Are, are you with me? And he says, don't offend them. He says, look, I came, my ministry was about taking those who were lost and what? Leading them to repentance. If you read the same account in Luke 15, the Bible says, he says there, uh, there is joy in heaven over one sinner that repented. S parallel account. So from being lost, being saved, he parallels with repentance. He goes out to seek to lead others to repentance. So, so watch this. Why am I sharing that? Notice this. Matthew 18. Matthew 18 and verse 15. So now, check out what he's about to do. Moreover, if thy brother shall trespass against thee, go and tell him his fault between thee and him alone. And if he shall hear thee, thou hast gained thy brother. But if he will not hear thee, then take with thee one or two more, that in the mouth of two or three witnesses, every word may be what? Established. And if he shall neglect to hear them, tell it unto the church. But if he neglect to hear the church, let him be unto thee as, as a heathen and a publican. Christ here is laying out the process of reconciliation. Of what, everyone? Reconciliation. Why? Because Jesus himself just happens to be into reconciliation. Remember, he came to seek and to save that which was lost. Now, let me ask them. Do you think by failure to follow this principle, there's a lot of division in God's church? You think so? Yeah. Yeah, if we would follow this principle there would be a lot less strife in the house of God. You agree? Yeah. Now, do you think God follows his own advice? You think so? All right, so watch this. <laughs> so, the process of reconciliation is this. If you have an issue with someone, what do you do? You go to them yourself. I got a question for you. Did Jesus have an issue with mankind? He did, did he not? Yeah, and according to Matthew 18, if you have an issue with someone, what do you do? You go to them yourself. Don't send somebody. You go yourself. Can anyone tell me what prophecy tells us that Jesus came to mankind himself? What time prophecy? Wow, look at you guys. <laughs> yes, yes, Jesus came because he had an issue with mankind. And he wanted to talk. Hey, listen, you know what? I've got an issue with you. You guys sinned. And you know all sin is against Jesus. So when you sin, you sin against Jesus. So he came. Hey, listen, you know, I've, I've, I wanted to try to work this out, and what did humanity do when Jesus came? They rejected him. They didn't listen. 
So Jesus goes back to heaven. They don't listen. And so, well, they don't listen. Well, what do I do now? Do I destroy them? No. You take two witnesses. Yeah, yeah. How many of you are tracking with me? Yeah. Did Jesus send two witnesses? Yeah, yeah. Who were those two witnesses? The Old and the New Testament. And how long did they? Twelve hundred and sixty years. Listen, you know, you offended, you, you spoke against Christ. And, and, and let me ask you, when, if you're familiar with the prophecy found in Revelation chapter 11, what did they do to the two witnesses? Did they hear them? No, no, they didn't hear them. So if you reject the one that, that came to you, and then he sends two witnesses, and you reject them, then there's really just one more opportunity. Y'all not feeling me. You take it. To the church. Does God raise up an end time church? Can you tell me what time prophecy points us to the raising up of that end time church? 2300 day prophecy. Beloved, the reason that God has called the Adventist movement into existence is because he has given us the ministry of reconciliation. It is the final attempt at reconciliation before. Are you catching? Who would have thought that Matthew chapter 18 lays out... Beloved, this is absolutely amazing because now you can understand, whoa, God, listen. The whole purpose of Matthew 18 is to reconcile the one who has turned against God. That is the whole purpose. The three angels' messages is not designed to scare people. It is a message of reconciliation with our Heavenly Father. That's what we have been called to do. And you see, beloved, listen carefully. You cannot reconcile others to God if you do not have the love of God dwelling in your hearts. You ever have a friend who had an issue? Ah, oh, I shouldn't have said it that way. Um, have you ever had a friend who had an issue with someone else? <laughs> okay, that too, yes. And you knew the other person that the friend had an issue with. And you wanted to do that because this is your friend. You don't want your friend hurt. You don't want your friend being an outcast. And so you went out of your way to work out, to try to work out that situation and say, guys, we don't need to be doing this, right? Beloved, listen, if we love Jesus, 
we have to understand that Jesus does not want to see one person lost. He wants to be reconciled with every single human being. So we, as his friend, should be like, okay, man, Jesus wants to bring. So our mission as a church is to help reconcile the lost to Christ. And the only way we can do that is if we have the love of God dwelling in our hearts. Therefore, therefore, it is no wonder then That Lucifer knows that God's people are supposed to be exercising the ministry of reconciliation. Well, what better way to disqualify God's people from the ministry of reconciliation (laughs) by making it so that they cannot even reconcile among themselves? Oh, you mean that's why Satan is bringing division into the church? You guys are supposed to be the ones that are reconciling the world to God, and you can't even reconcile yourself? You see, beloved, that's why Satan wants to bring division in the church. Listen to me. If genuine love, true love, godly love, I'm not talking about counterfeit love. If godly love is the way that we bring unity, reconciliation, then Satan has a weapon that he uses to bring about division. Listen, turn with me. First John. First John, you need to see this weapon. First John, chapter 4. First John, chapter 4. Verse 17, when you get there, please say amen. amen. Check this out, guys. First John chapter 4, verse, verse 17. Herein is our love made perfect, that we may have boldness in the day of judgment, because as he is, so are we in this world. Pause right there. Don't read any further. Look up at me. Look up at me. Stop. Do not read any further. <laughs> what do we need in order to stand in boldness in the day of judgment? Love. So, When we're going forth to the world and telling them about this this God that we serve, we're trying to tell them that God is love. And we're trying to tell them you have every reason to do what? Love God. Right? And that's how we bring reconciliation. God's weapon for the end time is love. That's his weapon. If you want to stockpile something, Stockpile love. <laughs> oh, man, you know. You know, you know. <laughs> See, everybody's like, okay, we, do we have our cans of food? And do we have this? And do we have that? No, God says, I want you to stockpile love for the last days. See, you don't get it because I know you're sounding like love, but that's not exciting. <laughs> we need to be stockpiling things like, okay, watch, watch, check this out. Let's read on. Verse 18. There is no what. Fear in love, but perfect love cast out fear. Because fear hath what? Torment. He that feareth is not made perfect in love. You see, beloved, the opposite of love is fear. And so if love is what unites the people of God, then Satan is going to introduce a spirit of 
fear into his church to cause division? Do you realize that it is fear that Satan used to cause the first division between God and man? Watch, come back with me to the book of Genesis. You need to see this. Genesis chapter 3. Genesis chapter 3. Genesis chapter 3 and verse 1. And notice what the Bible says here. Now the serpent was more subtle <coughs> than any beast of the field which the Lord God had made. And he said unto the woman, Yea, hath God said, You shall not eat of every tree of the garden. And the woman said unto the serpent, We may eat of every tree of the fruit of the garden, fruit of the trees of the garden, but of the fruit of the tree which is in the midst of the garden, God has said, You shall not eat of it, neither shall ye touch it, lest ye die. And the serpent said unto the woman, You shall not surely die, for God does know that in the day you eat thereof, then your eyes shall be opened, and you shall be as gods, knowing what? Good. Knowing good and evil. Check this out. Satan led Eve, listen carefully, to fear that she was missing out on something. Wait a minute. God is holding something back from you. Something that you need to know yourself. And this, wait, what? God is doing what? Satan introduces this spirit of fear. And watch this. Remember when Adam... When Eve comes to Adam and she offers him the fruit, do you think fear rose up in Adam's heart? Yeah, what was he afraid of? Losing Eve. Fear. Fear led to division between God and man. What do you think it does between man and man? Remember when God comes in the garden? Adam, what did you do? Adam was what? Afraid. When they hear the voice of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day, the Bible says they hid themselves because they were afraid. Beloved, Satan used fear to cause a separation between God and man. Adam actually says, I was afraid because I was what? Naked. I was afraid because I was naked. You see, beloved, Adam and Eve experienced overwhelming fear. And overwhelming fear leads to sin, which leads to overwhelming fear, which leads to sin, which leads to overwhelming. It's a never-ending cycle. They were afraid of the suffering. They were afraid of what, everyone? The suffering that God was going to inflict on them in the garden. They were afraid of God and his character. They saw God as someone to be afraid of. So when he comes walking in the garden, they're terrified because of the suffering they think they're about to experience. But then God does something. Remember, why was Adam afraid? Because he was what? Naked. And so what does God do? He covers him. What is God telling Adam? Don't be afraid. Do you know how many times that term is used in the Bible? Fear not. Fear not. Be not afraid. Fear not. Be not afraid. It is I. Be not afraid. Fear not. The entire message of the gospel is about fear not. Don't be afraid of God. In fact, 
Uh, the Bible tells us that Jesus, look, turn with me. This is powerful. Notice with me Hebrews chapter 2, verse 14 and 15. Hebrews chapter 2, verse 14 and 15. See, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Hebrews 2, verse 14, 15. Listen to what the Bible says. Hebrews 2, verse 14. Bible says here, um, for as much then as the children are partakers of flesh and blood, he also himself likewise took part of the same, that through death he might destroy him that had the power of death, that is the devil, and deliver them who through what? Fear of what? Death were all their lifetime subject to bondage. The gospel is about breaking the bondage of fear. Let me say it this way. The gospel is about overwhelming fear. How many of you know what it's like to experience overwhelming fear? <laughs> yeah, beloved, I want to know what it's like to overwhelm fear. I don't want fear to overwhelm me. God wants you <laughs> to experience overwhelming fear, overpowering fear. That's what God calls us to do. He says, I've not given you the spirit of fear, but of a sound mind. The purpose of the gospel is to rid us of an ungodly fear. How many of you want to experience overwhelming <laughs> you get it you get it now you get it because when we begin to experience overwhelming fear beloved something amazing begins to happen to us the devil has no power over us he only has power over us when we are fearing the kind of fear god does not want us to experience so when you read all through the, when, when Jesus is about to be born, the angel says to Mary, fear not. Fear not. Listen to me. Check this out. When Adam and Eve see that animal suffering, and then that suffering animal, the, the skin taken from that animal who is now dead and given to Adam and Eve, it's God saying, I don't want you to fear. Why? Because one is coming who will suffer on your behalf. Do you understand what that means? Christ, the Lamb of God, slain from the foundation of the world, came to demonstrate to us that God's love should overpower fear. And the life of Christ demonstrated that very thing. I want you to think about how deep God's love was for us. God is trying to tell us, listen, by the way, how many of you, if you were Jesus, no, let's not phrase it that way. If you were yourself, in that trial that Jesus went through, think you would have experienced fear? Jesus, one of your very own, is about to betray you. Are you going to give up on loving them now? You still going to go through with the suffering? Jesus says, yep. I'm not going to be afraid. I'm still going to go through with the suffering. Jesus, your disciples have forsaken you. Are you still going to go through it? Yes. God's love 
overpowers fear. Jesus, they're about to spit on you and beat you and mock you. Are you afraid of that? No, 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 no. God's love overwhelms fear. Jesus, you're on the cross and they are mocking you and laughing at you. You have been nailed to the cross. Will you come down from the cross? No. Because I need to demonstrate to my people that the way that you overwhelm fear is through love. How about this? Jesus. The Father has forsaken you. Now will you come down from the cross. Now will you allow fear to, to lead you and guide you. Because, you know, when we're, when we're afraid, we do crazy things. Am I right? Yeah, when you're afraid, you do crazy things. Yeah, let a snake come in here right now and see what I do. <laughs> Some of you know the story, right? Or know the stories. Right? Like for some of you, it's a, it's a B. For some of you, whatever, fear has a way of leading us to do things that we would not normally do. If someone came in here right now offering you the mark of the beast, mark of the beast, mark of the beast, mark, you'd be like, are you crazy? But if you're under a condition of fear, You will do things that you would not normally do where fear was not present. That is why Satan is constantly seeking to produce an atmosphere and a spirit of fear within our hearts. Because he knows that if he can get us afraid of end time events. How many of you are afraid of that? Don't raise your hand. I just want you to think about how many of us are afraid of end time. Oh, no, no, no. I mean, we sound like, like the Christians from the other churches. I don't want to hear about it. The beast? No, 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 no. <laughs> I mean, we sound like that. We're afraid. of God has not given us the spirit of fear. You see, listen, so God is trying to get the spirit of fear away from us by replacing it with the spirit of love because love overwhelms fear. That's why the Bible says, arm yourself with this mind. Because he that has suffered, he who loves Jesus so much that the love for Jesus overwhelms the fear of suffering. My love for Jesus is so deep, it overwhelms the fear of suffering. That's when Satan can have no power or authority over us. It is that kind of love, beloved, that brings unity in God's church. Because when we have that kind of love, there's nothing Satan can do to separate us. So, so check this out. You need to see this. Listen. Remember how Peter got scared and denied Jesus three times? You remember that? And then after Jesus resurrected, what did Jesus say to Peter three times? <laughs> do you love me, Peter? Do you love me, Peter? Do you love me, Peter? The opposite of fear. <gasps> Were you with him? No, it wasn't me. <laughs> the opposite of fear, love. And then he says, reconcile. Feed my sheep. Feed my sheep. Feed my little ones. Feed my little ones. So, Satan's end time weapon is fear. A fear of the end times. Men's hearts failing them for 
fear of the things coming up on the earth. Beloved, listen, it is fear that will lead many of God's people to betray one another. Mother betraying, uh, you know, children betraying parents. It is fear that will lead to the betrayal of our brothers and sisters. Fear. Not only that, this gets a little bit deeper. Do you know (laughs) that one of the greatest causes of deception is the fear of deception? You're not feeling me. (laughs) See, Satan doesn't care how he makes you afraid. As long as he can put the spirit of fear in you, he will bring it in and thus cause division in the church. You see, Eve was told that she was being, hey, God is hiding something from you. He is deceiving you. And he was like, what? Conspiracy theory? (laughs) Wait, what? Who? You mean God? Guess what, guys? I got some secret information that God doesn't want us to know. And you know what? Check this out. That same spirit has penetrated God's church. Because for some of us, Everything. Why do you think they have white chairs in here? <laughs> Hold on. Wait, 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 wait. You think this is funny, right? Go online and look up white chairs. <laughs> I'm not going to be deceived. I'm not sitting in that white chair. You may be deceived, but not me. And now, all of a sudden, you got, first it was just me, but now 20 people believe that white chairs is a conspiracy. (laughs) And before you know it, those 20 people go talk to 20 other people, and now you got this fraction in the church that believes that wherever you see a white chair, watch out. (laughs) Satan's coming next. The fear of deception. But do you understand what I'm talking about? Satan uses fear to bring division within God's church. So now people are so terrified of being deceived that they become deceived. All these movements that are springing up, because why? Well, listen, there's a fear of not being in the 144,000. So, man, if God's church is what, 18, what, 18 million? What's the number now? 20 million? If God's church is 20 million, but only 144,000 are going to make it through, then I got to find a way that a whole bunch of people are wrong. See, I'm telling you, man, I'm the only one not wearing a tie. Everybody else is off. I'm telling So we begin to find teachings that, that may not be so popular. See, this is not mainstream. I'm telling you, man. Oh, and people are not going to say this, but I'm trying to let you see how the devil cunningly uses fear as the basis of division in God's church. So now, yeah, 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 this is some secret, you know, like... The church as a whole, yeah, they reject this, but really it's the truth. And because we want to be among the remnant of the remnant of the remnant of the remnant, we want to be number 24 of the 144,000. It's not good enough to be like 104, you know, 139. That's, no, no, no. I need God to know that, you know, I was one of his like, you. Like, you know, listen, it's what we might call the Elijah syndrome. 
I alone am left, Lord. I alone, and, and God would be like, Elijah, uh, there are 7,000 other people that you haven't met yet. <laughs> right? That's what he had to tell him. But beloved, listen to me. This spirit of fear, fear of being deceived, fear of not, listen, you can have a fear of not being the greatest. Who's the greatest? Why is everyone going after that pastor, but they're not coming after me? What thing, what new edge, what new thing can I come up with to gain a following? Beloved, I'm telling you, just because someone has a following doesn't mean that that someone is speaking the word of God. Let me tell you, many winds, <laughs> many winds are blowing in God's church right now. And you want to know why? It's because of the spirit of fear. Everyone's afraid of who's going to get tossed out of the boat when God comes. So they're trying their best to prove to God, it's me, Lord, it's me, I'm faithful. I, everyone else is going off, but I'm faithful. And listen, beloved, that is the spirit of fear. That's Adam pointing to Eve saying it was her. It was her. It is not the reconciliation that God wants us to, to be exercising. Beloved, listen to me. I'm not saying that, you know, you don't call sin by its right name. I'm not saying that there is no such thing as error in God's church that needs to be spoken out against. But what I am saying is that much of the division in God's house right now is because of the spirit of fear. It has supplanted the spirit of love. How do we overcome? We got to overwhelm fear. We have to overwhelm fear. The love of God must be so deep in our hearts that we are willing, that we are willing to go. Listen, some of us, some of us fear, our fear of losing out on heaven must be overcome. Yeah, I got one, one, thank you. Thank you. <laughs> Listen, you're saying, Pastor, that doesn't even sound right. Hold on. Hold on. When God was about to destroy the Israelites, and there was Moses, what did Moses say to God? Moses was willing to admit, Lord, I got an idea. Wait, 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 I got great, blot me out. <laughs> he wasn't saying, you know, kill me and, and, you know, just bring me back in the show. No, blot me out of the book of life. Just don't destroy your people. That was the kind of, Moses' love surpassed the second death. Most of us are struggling with the first death. <laughs> Let me tell you why, beloved. Let me tell you why it's so important. Because listen, at the end of time, remember this. Remember this. We are told that when God's spirit withdraws, we will feel as if God has forsaken us. It'll feel. He hasn't. But it'll feel like that. We won't have any evidence that God is with us. And in that time, fear might overwhelm us. 
unless we have overwhelming love. Because if we have overwhelming love and Satan says, well, God has forsaken you, you're going to be lost, you might as well take the mark of the beast. We will say, it doesn't matter if I'm lost, I'm not serving you, I'm not taking the mark of the beast, and I will not bow. Why? Because I love God. And even if it means me missing out on heaven, I will not bow down to you. You see, beloved, that's the kind of love. The kind of love that we must be willing to suffer that second death. Just as Jesus was willing to suffer that second death. All right, I'm closing. The time is blinking. We've got like five seconds left. But in prophetic time, <laughs> five seconds. Somebody work, somebody work that out for me so I can know how much time that I have. I'm serious. I'm finishing. Jesus Jesus said, when he comes again, will he find faith on the earth? Why does he say that? Because faith works by love. If there is no love, there can be no faith. We must have overwhelming love. Do you remember when Jacob was wrestling with that angel? And he must have been afraid. What do you think? It's dark. He can't see who he's wrestling. And then he realizes it's God. And then check this out. The Bible says that Jacob, no, God said, let me go for the day breaketh. You ever thought about that? Let me go for the day breaketh. See, we don't get the real, the real power behind that. Because we hear it in the King James. Let me go for the day breaketh. That's not how it went down. I want you to imagine God saying, get off of me. Get off of me. You're in a fight. When you're in a fight, you don't say, let, let it me go for the day. You know, we're just thinking, Jacob, let me go for the day break it. No, get off. That's what, I, that's what you do when you're in a fight, right? You're, you're, you're trying to get someone off. Get off of me. It's not a, gettest thou off. Get off. That's what happens when you're in a fight. Get off. Off. And I want you to imagine, Jacob knows this is God himself, and God is saying, get off of me. Don't touch me. How fearful would you be? Would you experience overwhelming fear then? You might. Would. You might. But you know what? Jacob's love for God overwhelmed his fear. I will not let you go. I know you can destroy me. I will not let you go unless you bless me. And if I die in the process, I'm not letting you go. Jacob's love overwhelmed his fear. Beloved, when we have that kind of love in God's church, I believe the division goes away. The self-exaltation, the wanting to be the one who brought forth this new truth, the one, the one who is responsible for this movement, want all that done because now Christ becomes the center and beloved my appeal to you tonight you 2300s I think everyone's a 2300 in here right if you're not a 2300 yet if you're not a 70 week yet you need to become a 70 weeker <laughs> but beloved my appeal to you tonight 
is to experience overwhelming fear. We got to overwhelm it. We can't overwhelm it on our own. It's got to be God in us, Christ in us. And when we overwhelm that fear, we will have a love that will surpass anything this world has ever seen. And when God's people have that love, then they have every right to go into every nation, kindred, tongue, and people, and with authority bring reconciliation between God and man. Until then, it's hypocrisy. Be ye reconciled. But watch out when you get in the church. <laughs> no. No, 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 no. We have to live what we preach. Heavenly Father, thank you for speaking to us tonight. Lord, I want to pray for everyone, every minister, every ministry, every person that struggles with the spirit of fear that is often disguised under something else. Lord, I pray that you would remove that spirit of fear from God's, from your church. That you would help us to experience overwhelming fear instead of fear overwhelming us. Forgive us, Lord. Forgive us for fearing you. For trying to impress you by outdoing our brothers and sisters in church. Forgive us. I've been guilty of it too, Lord. Forgive us. And Lord, set our eyes on you. This is our prayer in Jesus' name. Amen. This media was brought to you by Audioverse, a website dedicated to spreading God's word through free sermon audio and much more. If you would like to know more about Audioverse, or if you would like to listen to more sermons, please visit www.audioverse.org.